Hey, greetings everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West here and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Show. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal program. We're about to enter into another school year here within the next couple of weeks. And, of course, we here in Texas remember what happened in Uvalde and many other places across the country where we have had these school shootings. So I thought it'd be great to get someone in to talk about this issue of how we can better prepare our schools and harden our schools and make sure that we're protecting the least amongst us. And so my dear friend from South Florida, Wayne Black, he's the author of School Insecurity, a comprehensive guide for parents and educators on school security, protecting your children, and fostering a safe learning environment. He has more than 45 years of professional security experience in both the public and private sectors, and his background is absolutely immense, and some of the people that he's done personal security with will talk to him about that. But Wayne Black, thank you so much for joining us here at the Steadfast and Loyal Show. It's my honor, Colonel. Happy to be with you. It's good to see you. It's been a long time, my friend. Tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into this uh, business of personal security, and tell us some of the folks that you've been working with uh, on when, when you talk about security details. Thank you. Well, I was with Miami-Dade Police Department uh, for a number of years in the Organized Crime Bureau and then at the state attorney's office, um, I retired. 9-11 uh, happened, and I got a, took a recall to run a contract for the Department of Homeland Security running a red team, and that's a team that tries to mm -hmm. break into U.S. facilities and, and special events like Super Bowl. Now, that was during Bush 43. After that, I was the uh, PSD, the personal security team leader for Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld. And uh, we ran into you a few times at different speaking yeah. engagements, as, as you recall, yep. um, and, until his death a couple of years ago. Um, and when I wasn't with the secretary, I was doing school assessments, safety assessments, and evaluations around the country. And it occurred to me with all these school shootings <clears throat> that it was time to uh, present a guidebook, basically, of uh, parents' rights. Parents and grandparents need, needed to know. So my... My checklist, my assessment checklist, is actually in the book. And so, Colonel, they can use the book to go to school board meetings and stand up and say, well, what are you doing about this? What's your budget for security? What are you doing to protect my child, which is, which is really critical? And um, I predict in the book, unfortunately, that we're going to have more school shootings. I just want to limit them. There are a bunch of reasons that we have school shootings. Everybody wants to talk about it after it happens, but there's not one good reason. We can protect the president. Our kids are just as important as the president. We can protect sporting events. Mm -hmm. We can protect banks and things like that. We need to protect our kids. So that's really what it's about. It's a, it's a labor of love, and uh, it's all in the book. 
You know, it's interesting because it really is all about where our priorities lie. You just talked about how we, you know, have immense protection for, you know, sporting events and how we have all this protection for concerts and all the protection that is out there in financial institutions, you name it. But here we have the most important place where we have, like I said, the least amongst us, our children. And for whatever reason, we want to go, you know, on the cheap when it comes to securing our schools and our children. And basically, we advertise that they are, you know, gun-free zones. And so you allow people to come in there. So let's talk about the trends that you have seen over these years. And let's talk a little bit about the checklist. What's the most common thread that you see out there when you talk about school insecurity? Normalcy bias. It can't happen at our school. It always happens someplace else. Look, over the years, we've had a failure of imagination, haven't we? We didn't imagine Pearl Harbor. We didn't imagine 9-11. And we didn't imagine Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, Uvalde, all those places. We can't imagine. It's always going to happen someplace else. So there's this feeling of denial. That's part of it. And the other part, Colonel, is that it's political in some states. Texas, for example, is perfect. They, they require training. They require armed SRO school resource officers. Florida does the same thing. Some states like Colorado mm-hmm. want to defund SROs and defund the police and take, take those things away from schools. So it's, it, politically, it's all over the map. You know, it's interesting because you just brought up the issue of the school resource officers and uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, where the young man, uh, I won't say his name, uh, went in there. And you had, this is a huge high school. I remember it well because it was in the congressional district I represented. I spoke there several times for their junior ROTC program. But you had one, one school resource officer that was there, and I won't say his name because I think he's a coward, but he basically was on his way out the door. Have you seen this instance of us putting not the you know most hard-charging person out there for school resource officers and and again, if you only have one person for a school like Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, it has thousands of students. Once again, are we not emphasizing security well enough? I think you're right. Um, school, the SRO position in, in some departments is where officers go just prior to retirement. Same thing with the airport. If you look at some of the, the airports around the country, that's a fairly easy job, right? Uh, they sit mm-hmm. there and, and uh, they're the officer present. But at schools, they really need to be squared away and more tactical. It's, it's our, you know, our precious children. Now, how do you go about, because, you know, the minute you start talking about offering training t- for teachers that would like to be able to, you know, defend their ground and protect their children, you know, let's be very honest, the progressive socialist left goes nuts. Um, how do you infiltrate in and get a training program there? I mean, what has been your uh, best practice, your best success story out there in the the years that you have looked at school and security? Well, the best across the board are private schools because they don't have a school board typically to have, you know, uh, discuss political questions. I'll I'll say, look, here's, I do findings, which is what's really happening in, in my report, recommendations, which are things that you need to do pretty soon and options for later, depending on budget. So options would be, for example, enhance the camera system and things like that. Recommendations would be 
have a choke point, lock the front door, lock the back door, have a place where where people are observed coming in, one entrance, maybe two entrances, um, and layers of security, fencing, planning, all those kinds of things. Look, the, the reality is if, if we have to go to gun, whether we're protecting someone or in a school, if we have to go to gun, our plans have really failed. And it's really about if our plan is better than the bad guy, we win. If it's not uh, as good as the bad guy, we lose. And that's, that goes for personal safety and, and everything else. Teachers um, need to be plugged in and they need to accept whatever program that is. They need to practice lockdowns and those kinds of things. Private schools across the country are practicing lockdowns once a month. Mm. Public schools, maybe once a, a year, maybe if we, can, if we can get them to do it. Now, some do differently. In Texas and Florida, they're required by the respective departments of education to prepare an assessment tool and submit it to the state. Are we doing any locks and locks problems, anything like that? So Texas and Florida are really out there uh, and far ahead of most other states. You know, let's look at a couple of cases, and I'd like to get your insights and perspectives. You know, in Nashville, it was a private school, the Covenant uh, Christian Academy. The shooter there was able to go right up to the, the front door entrances and shoot out the glass and gain entry. If you're going to have a single point of entry and exit, shouldn't you have someone there that has overwatch over that single point of entry and exit? Absolutely. That would be the basic plan. If we look at that video, it's sort of frightening that the shooter, and I, I like it that you will never mention their name. We do that too much. That's a whole other story. We, mm -hmm. we laud the shooters and we, we mention their names and that causes a copycat situation, in my opinion. But if you look at the one in Nashville, uh, the shooter drove by a, a crowded playground and went to that door. So we think that shooters snap. They don't snap. They decide and they plan and everything else. If they would have had an SRO there, that would have been great. If they would have spent a few bucks on a ballistic window tent, they had the doors locked. But a ballistic window tent would have kept that shooter out and bought, bought time before the officers got there. When the officers got there, Unlike Parkland and Uvalde, they did a great job. That's, and let's transition and talk about Uvalde. What are the things that you saw in going back and studying that situation in Uvalde that could have prevented that shooter from gaining asset access and then being able to hunker down for, what, almost two hours, I believe it was? Yeah, that was just terrible. That was as bad as, as Parkland uh, the police failed to engage. Everything about it was wrong. Um, after the first four or five officers didn't engage, you know, remember, you'll see the video, they sort of grabbed their ears. It sort of hurt. But a forensic psychologist named Dr. Harley Stock said that under the fight or flight or freeze mechanism, after groupthink took over, that is to say, after the first five officers didn't engage, the other ones may have been neurologically incapable of engaging. And it wasn't until the Bortak officer, who was getting a haircut, borrowed a gun from the barber and came and took out the shooter. But in Uvalde, as you recall, the police were more concerned with keeping the parents back while the yeah. shooting was going on than they were engaging the shooter. So they were breaking windows two classrooms down to take kids out. They could have gone to the last classroom, which is where the guy was. He stood the shooter, he stood two feet taller than any child. They could have engaged him right through the glass, uh, but they didn't do it. It was just terrible. 
um, I wrote an article for the Federalist after the shooting, and I got a call from someone in Texas that the police chief wanted to sue me uh, for my article because I basically called him a coward. And and I said, come to Miami. We'll be happy to take your deposition. That'll be great. And then, unfortunately, two days later, he was fired. So we never got a chance to do that. Well, I, I think that there was some fault in the leadership down there, without a doubt. Uh, and when you make that side-by-side -side comparison between Nashville, uh, of course, once the police got there and what they did do, as opposed to Uvalde and also in Parkland, I mean, it's very stark contrast. You talked about the checklist that you had there for parents. Share with us some of the checklist items because, you know, this podcast, uh, this segment is going to go up and... You know, we want parents to be able to go in and say right now before school gets start, you know, check one, check two, check three, check four, check five. So take us through some of these checklist items that you have in your book, School and Security. The first thing I would advise parents to do is ask who's in charge of my child's life safety, not a committee who by name at this board or in, in this school is the person by name that's in charge of my child's security then. What are you, let's say it's John Smith. John, what are you doing to protect my child? Have you had an assessment lately? Are the police training after hours at this school so they know the school? Do the police have a grandmaster key to open all the doors to the school? What is your lockdown plan? What is your security budget? And don't tell me that you have a limited security budget. When they do that, Colonel, I ask them, well, how much is it that... Um, you all spend on sending teachers to Las Vegas every year for that convention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the football and, and, stadium. That's right. That's right. And which is more important. So there's no reason I keep saying this, no reason for a child to get injured in a school. The other thing is if there's a school nurse, what's the plan or Narcan? And that's the antidote to fentanyl. How many doses of Narcan do you have? And about half the schools that I, that I do uh, surveys for, Colonel will say, what are you talking about? We don't have any. Well, we, we couldn't get a doctor to prescribe it. Well, it's over the counter for $35, two doses. So what do you have? And then how many teachers, if any, are trained in stop the bleed, AED, first aid, CPR? And how basic many combat, combat life-saving skills. Yes, sir. That basic. If you look at the, the gory details of Parkland and, and Columbine and Uvalde, uh, a lot of those kids bled to death because they weren't uh, treated mm -hmm. in time. So not all of them had catastrophic injuries, So, but they were allowed for that those long period of time, as much as an hour, to just, to just bleed out. It's just terrible. So let me ask you this. Would it be beneficial to a school to have some type of before the you know the, the the school session gets started to have some type of security brief with the you know all the parents invite them there and of course some parents you know may not show up but it should be something that I think the schools would do to to talk about who's in charge and their plan and and hear from the parents before the school year gets started because that to me that's more proactive then what we continue to see is everyone being reactive. Absolutely. You'd think they would do that. If, you know, we always say if, if you um, don't have a plan, you've planned to fail. Mm -hmm. And so this is, schools are, should be zero fail environments. 
and uh, they should do that. What I see a lot, and it's unfortunate, is I'll hear, well, we have a security committee. Well, who's on the committee? Well, the lady from HR, the principal, the coach. What do they know about security? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not doing school curriculum, and they shouldn't be doing security. They should bring in the police or, or an expert or someone to help them with that. They really, I, I guess the simplest way to say it is they don't know what they don't know. Have you run into cases where some of these schools are going out and looking for veterans uh, to come in and provide security services for their respective schools? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll tell you a great school, and I think I can talk about it on your podcast here right there in Texas, in San Antonio. Okay. A private school called St. Mary's Hall. The headmaster there, a gentleman named Len Miller, went out and recruited a just-retiring Secret Service supervisor mm. to, to be the security director at the school and protect the school. So this is a guy who has assessment experience, all those years protecting the president, a great guy, and he's now running the school. That, that school couldn't be more secure. So uh, they're not going to have a, a school shooting. They might, even if they have an attempt, I know that it's not going to go very far. So that's a great school right there in Texas. Perfect example of the right way to do it. So yes, a lot of schools are doing that. There's one in Delaware that's recruiting a the head of the state trooper SWAT team to be to be head of security at the school. So those are few and far between, unfortunately. Most schools, Colonel, are in a form of denial. Um, we haven't had it ha happen here at our school, so we must be doing something right. And it's always the other school down the street mm -hmm. that has the problem. It's it's not us. And, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, again, in this false sense of complacency, uh, you know, is not going to be someone to talk. But what about the kid that we, you know, saw down, I believe, in Houston? He's having a bad day and uh, he just somehow finds a means by which to get a weapon. Or we saw up in Virginia, the, uh, the young kid, I believe uh, seven or eight years of age, gets his mom's firearm and comes in and shoots the first grade uh, teacher. How can we be prepared for those things? I, I mean, I've always said that you cannot think as you want to think. You have to think always in the worst case scenario. You have to put yourself in those positions. How can we get people to go through those type of scenarios? I mean, is there something, some type of training that you can offer, some type of blueprint that can be offered? But, you know, are schools out there going through all of the different scenarios that could happen to them? They're absolutely not going through the scenarios. I mean, you, you think like that. You think like the enemy from your military background. Mm -hmm. I think like that from law enforcement background. You have to expect your psychic has to cause you to think like the enemy. So most schools are not doing that. What they can do, we've been providing tabletop exercises, okay. uh, the what-if kind of exercise. And in the schools, we've done that, too, uh, with PowerPoints. Uh, we've actually had teachers cry uh, during, the, during the tabletop exercise because they know that that could happen at their school and they just aren't planned. But I guarantee you, after that tabletop, schools are really, it really opens their eyes. So those, those kinds of things can be done. The main thing is they need to think about security. And think about everything else, you know, with salaries and teachers' unions and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And kids really aren't high on the list. It's only when parents and grandparents stand up 
and say, we want our schools to be safe, and what are you doing about it, and hold people accountable. You'll recall with Parkland, um, one, of the, one of the kids that was, that was killed in Parkland was Alyssa, and that's now mm-hmm. called Alyssa's Law, Alyssa Adeloff. Lori, um, the mother, is so driven, she is now the chairperson of the Broward County School Board. So wow. that's ex- that's the perfect example. Parents should should stand up and and run for the board. Get those people off the board if they're not willing to protect your children. Make an issue. We saw what happened, in, and this was one of the things that triggered me to write was Loudoun County, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Remember that, where the father mm-hmm. stood up and complained that his daughter was raped and he got arrested. And it came out that the father was absolutely correct and that the school board covered it up. Not just that it happened in that school. It happened in another school where they transferred the, uh, the boy pretending to be a little girl, too. So let me ask you this as we, as we get ready to close. Are the teachers unions working with you? Do, you? do you think that this is an emphasis of the National Education Association, American Federation of Teachers? Is Randy Weingarten uh, talking to you at all? Do you think that they care about school safety? I, I don't think it's high on their priority. I think they themselves are high on their priority. We've seen that. We saw that during COVID. You know, if they really cared about kids' safety, they would have um, got them back healthy and put them back to school. Texas, yep. Texas reacted quickly. Florida did. Uh, Christy Nome in, in South Dakota never closed down. So that's, that's the focus on the child. The other thing schools need to do is think about what we call OCB, observable concerning behavior. None of these internal shooters snap. They decide. Mm-hmm. And in all cases, or almost all cases, they, give red, they send red flags. They come to school. They look different. They smell different. They talk different. They walk different. Um, Columbine, for example, those guys started wearing trench coats to school yes. and talking about guns. Um, the other thing that schools should think about is in the libraries, are you filtering the the content of the computers? I was at a school out west. I doing an assessment. I walked in the library. It was junior high school. I turned on the just a computer, no password, no accountability, and I was able to log on to a porn site. Mm. When I asked the IT guy about it, he said, well, you know, I get pushback from the teachers, so I, so I just say the heck with it. So those are the kinds of things that parents, it's not about necessarily SROs, it's about doors, locks, alarms, computers, do they have an OCB program and all that. You know, in the military, we call that trend analysis. You have to look at look for the trends. Uh, you have to look for the things that are out of normal. If it's 80 degrees outside and the kid is coming to school with a trench coat, uh, something's not right. Okay, and you need to have people that are aware of that, and you need to be training teachers as well as school resource officers and other security personnel. Everyone needs to to have their eyes out for that. Wayne Black, thanks so much for being here with us. Now, how can people go out and get your book, School and Security, A Comprehensive Guide for Parents, Educators on School Security, Protecting Your Children, and Fostering a Safe Learning Environment? Well, Colonel, it's on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and, um, and my website, wayneblack.com. And where are you going to be going out to next in your uh, conducting of assessment surveys? Because I'm sure a lot of people would love to uh, be around when you're conducting that survey. And how can people schedule you to come out and do a a survey? They can reach out to me on the website. Um, I'm going to be headed out west, Salt Lake City, 
but I'm happy to talk to any group. I'm happy to Zoom with, with any group and uh, uh, if, they, if they would like to and just sort of uh, give them an idea of concepts, what they can do. Well, thank you so much, Wayne, for being with us. Thank you for all the years of service that you have given to communities and now to our children to make sure that they stay safe and they can focus on getting a good quality education. So God bless you. And next time you're out here in Texas, you got to let me know so I can treat you to a nice grilled steak. Thank you, sir. Same here with Florida. It's an honor. Uh, God bless. Take care. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Program. And special thanks to a dear friend of mine from back down in South Florida, Wayne Black, for taking time out of his busy schedule to share his thoughts, perspectives, and insights on a critical issue in the United States of America, and that's school safety. As always, if you enjoy this program, click that like button and share it with others. And until next time, Steadfast and Loyal. Before they burn it down.